patience and experience. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, St. Paul brings out clearly both the meaning of hope and patience when he declares, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth ye yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Very simply stated, what this means is that where we have a confident expectation of something, that hope or confidence gives us the patience to wait for it. Thus, even as patience is associated with hope, so by implication the loss of hope means impatience. When we have no hope, both waiting and tribulations become meaningless to us, and we cannot then patiently endure them. Patience, in the Greek, hupomone, means literally an abiding under. Hupo, under, meno, to abide. It can be passive in the sense of endurance in trials, Luke 21.19, Matthew 24.13, or active in the sense of persistent and persevering action, Romans 2.7, Luke 8.15, Hebrews 12.1. Patience is thus not stoicism. It is not blind submission to meaningless events. Biblical patience is thus radically different from the hopeless submission to a meaningless universe which marks the religions of the Far East. It is also different from the stoicism of Roman society, again marked by a hopelessness and a despair of life. Biblical patience is inseparable from hope. It means awaiting with confidence that the future holds a great reward and an assured fulfillment. Twice in Revelation, we are reminded of this fact that patience is inseparable from victory and justice. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Revelation 13.10 And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, 9-12 Very explicitly, we are told that those who have patience are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This patience means that they believe God's law and rest assured that its judgment will fully overwhelm all evildoers. Patience thus has, first, a confidence that, this world being totally God's creation, will see God's victory and the vindication of his people. Second, patience means also the certainty that God's total judgment will be meted out to all offenders, who shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. The psychology of biblical patience is thus radically different from pagan patience. The counsel given by a pastor to someone in trouble that we can only be patient until life is ended or we are raptured out of this evil age is thus false, in that it counsels a defeatist view of history and a stoical view of patience. The comment of another pastor to a bereaved person that we too will soon be dead and freed from this sinful world and that we should wait with patience for the release of death is again not a biblical counsel. The view of godly patience with respect to death is that, first, before the end of the world, man's lifespan will be greatly prolonged and his life richly blessed, Isaiah 65, 20-25, and second, that with the end, the last enemy, death, shall itself be destroyed, which means that before then, other enemies shall have been extensively destroyed. 
Whenever stoical patience is preached as though it were godly patience, great harm is done to the faith, and it is paganized. The psychology of stoicism is not the psychology of godly patience, but almost without exception, it is stoicism or paganism that is preached as a godly virtue. As a result, in the name of Christ, people practice a pagan virtue, which denies the biblical faith in victory, which is another word for salvation. What, some may ask, is the virtue in preaching to someone dying of cancer that patience with respect to death means both a long lifespan before the end of the world and the overthrow of death itself finally with Christ's second advent? A soldier dying in a battle, which is important to him, will welcome the news of impending victory for his side. Even more, he will welcome the fact of eternal life for himself immediately. Patience, whether during a brief period of dying pain or over long years, means confidence in victory. To deny this is to deny the faith, and affirm stoicism, which cannot comfort or strengthen, but only deaden man. Experience, dokime, or experiment, means the process of proving, or proof itself. St. Paul, thus in Romans 5, 1-4, declares that faith, peace, tribulation, and patience develop proof. Arthur S. Way rendered it as tested strength, and James Moffat as character. For them, the implication is that it is man's faith that is proven. Dean Alford rendered it, after the authorized version revised, as approval of our faith and trust, 2 Corinthians 2, 9, 10, 13, not proof as some, nor experience as a V. In 2 Corinthians 9, 13, the King James Version renders the word as experiment. In Philippians 2.22, it is translated as proof. In 2 Corinthians 8.2, it is trial. In every instance, it is man and man's faith that is proven. Thus, it is not man who tests God, but God who tests and proves man. The man who is tested by God develops a progressively stronger hope, a greater confidence in moving into the future under God. The humanistic concept of experience, experiment, or proof is to subject God and his law to the test and to regard all things as an open question. A scientific experiment conducted by faith in God's law order and within the bounds of moral law is a godly experiment, but one which in fact denies God and his moral law, in the pretense that all things are an open question, is a sin and a high-handed offense against God. Thus, experiments in abortion, in electrodes in the human brain, and in sexual response represent a deliberate contempt of moral order. The same is true of investigations and reporting, which consider experience of an anti-biblical nature as a necessity for arriving at the truth. To cite an example, Kate Coleman, formerly with Newsweek and then a freelance writer, published a study of prostitution for Ramparts magazine, which was simply a report on conversations with various prostitutes. The opinions and comments of these women was important in her eyes for any decision about the truth of the matter. The attitude of the whores was even more humanistic. They urged her to try turning a trick in order to gain first-hand knowledge of the subject. For a Christian, first-hand knowledge means God's knowledge, since God, as the creator of all things, is the first-hand source of knowledge on all things. For a humanist, as his own God, his own experience is the source of first-hand knowledge. Kate Coleman finally decided in favor of the experiment but she chose a superior and pleasing customer, a photographer in his 30s, who, according to his statement, had frequented Claire's whorehouse for years as a means of being faithful to his wife. 
with this carefully selected young man, urbane and marked with modish good looks, a charmer in fact, she found what she described as stunning pleasure. On leaving the bedroom, a paunchy, unpleasant man demanded her services next. The other hookers urged me to go with him, but I was adamant. The whole idea of going to bed again with anyone save my John was at that moment most repulsive, and this man was flaccid, gross, and wore an American flag pin in his lapel, a complete turnoff. One of the hookers chided me, but you see, that's the point. Your research is unreal. You do not have the right to refuse. You don't have that kind of freedom of choice. Had I any vestigial doubts, she had dispelled them. The full implications were clear. I took my $25 from Claire. Red-faced, I bolted for the door. Hi-ho, the phony hooker. The following day, I somehow managed to blow the money on a huge and ridiculous plant with furry leaves for an apartment I did not even live in. Clearly, as Kate Coleman's account reveals, the idea of experience, of test or proof, has undergone some very radical developments. A philosophical definition of experience will help us to understand this change. Experience, Latin experientia, from experiri, to test. The condition or state of subjectivity or awareness. The term differs from consciousness by emphasizing the temporal or passing character of effective undergoing. Usage, however, is not uniform, since its definition involves a theoretical standpoint. Thus, Bradley identified it with consciousness, while W. James used it to mean neutral phenomenon, a that or given, without implications of either subjectivity or objectivity. What this means is that experience has been detached from God and an objective norm, and become completely an inner aspect of man's life. As such, it has taken on a godlike character and become a world and existence unto itself. The test or proof which remains is thus purely a personal one. The text thus of modern art is not an objective norm, but the purely personal feeling of the artist and the purely personal and separate response of the viewer. There need be no common factor in the two experiences. Thus, whether in Kate Coleman or in modern science and art, experience or experiment today means moral and intellectual anarchy. What purpose remains in experience serves to promote such anarchy. Thus, the modern novel, film, and television fair has as its purpose, on the one hand, to give us the Kate Coleman kind of experience vicariously, and on the other, to stimulate us to like experimentation in every realm of life. We are often told, whether it is with respect to the use of drugs or a variety of immoral and degenerate practices, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. The only valid test of knowledge is held to be experience. This attitude is a logical product of modern humanistic education. Godly experience is radically different. First-hand knowledge is to view all things in terms of the triune God and his infallible word. God being the maker of all things in heaven and on earth, nothing can be truly known or proven apart from him. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Psalm 36, 9. The most direct experience of all things is thus under God. For a man to seek a direct experience of anything apart from God is both to deny God and finally to deny the object he seeks to experience. When philosophy after Descartes sought a direct knowledge of the world of sense objects by means of experience, it ended in Hume by denying not only God, but the world around us. All that remained then was the mind of man, which Kant converted into a new universe comprehending all things within itself as the logical step in philosophy. 
One of the results was existentialism, modern art and science, and the Kate Coleman's of the world, but few are as honest as she is. The only thing proven by humanistic experience is that an individual exists, nothing more, and even that is a frail and tenuous proof. The world is reduced into nothing and then pulled into the mind of isolated man. The destiny of isolated humanistic man is to feel, but without meaning or purpose, and to exist, but without reason. The more humanistic man isolates himself from God, the lower the moral level on which he seeks existence and feeling. The only objective factor in his inner experience is that he is now testing within himself the very real boundaries of hell. The experience of the godly man is his testing and proving by God, whereby he is strengthened and prepared for that fulfillment which his growing hope is a promise of. God tests and proves man, and produces in him a lively hope that maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Romans 5.5 Those whom God proves, he delights in.